Hey, welcome to Docs and Jocks, your sports medicine radio show. My name is Dr. Dan, coming from inside Docs and Jocks radio studio. Great to have you with us today. If you're just catching our show for the very first time, we're a sports entertainment show that does it from a sports medicine niche. I'm a longtime sports medicine physician with Texas Sport and Spine. And uh, we also are doing our show here from inside the D1 Abilene training uh, venue. Man, we've been having a great uh, view of a, long, a lot of young, uh, young kids, uh, adults, uh, youth, man, working out right out here in front of us. I am joined this week by Hall of Fame sports broadcaster, writer, and author, and a good friend of mine, Al Pickett. Al, thanks for being on the show today. Hey, my pleasure to be back. I've been a guest several times, but I first know. time to be a co-host with yes, you. Yes, I'm very honored to have Al in here. He's been a longtime sports broadcaster. If you're anywhere from our area, uh, you know Al Pickett's voice for sure. He's been uh, with the uh, Abilene High uh, Eagles. He does a Hardin-Simmons uh, football. He's uh, written numerous books. Recent one, uh, The Mighty Mighty Matadors, talking about Lubbock Estacado and their state finalists to run back uh, some years ago. But, man, we'll be talking about that and more with Al. And, Al, I'm very excited about our guests this week. We always have some great guests here on Docs and Jocks, your sports medicine radio show. Uh, this week we're going to be having on Rob Schmetz. He is the five-time Wrangler Bullfighter of the Year uh, recipient. Uh, if you don't know about bullfighting, it's one of the uh, scariest uh, things, I think, in all the world. I've had, had the privilege of being a sports medicine physician down in the rink and watching these guys do their thing and saving these cowboys and keeping them from uh, getting injured during the rodeos. Is, it was absolutely amazing. We have probably uh, the best ever to do it in the world. are going to be on our show. Rob Schmetz is going to be on. We'll also be talking to Jeremy Carver. He is a physical therapist with D1 Abilene, and he is doing a uh, golf-specific uh, training program that we just started here at D1 Abilene. We'll be talking about different injuries to golfers and how you avoid those injuries and how do you train specifically for golf to be better. So if you are a young golfer or you have a uh, maybe a, a young son or daughter that is a golfer, this would be a great show for you to listen to when we have Jeremy Carver coming up. Hey, don't forget that uh, here on Docs and Jocks, you can follow us multiple different ways. You can follow us on our iTunes app, Docs and Jocks, D-O-X-N-J-O-X. Just go to iTunes and click on our podcast and listen to us anytime, anywhere at your convenience. You can also follow us on multiple different ways on social media, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. By doing so, you can go to DocsandJocks.com, D-O-X-N-J-O-X.com, and there you can find out how to follow us on social media, man. We'd love to have you be part of our show. Also, you can uh, email us very easily. Just go to docsandjocks.com, click on contact us, and what you can do there is email us uh, your question. What we do here on the show is talk about different injuries in the news. We're going to talk about some of the injuries and big fights coming up and ways guys get injured, I guess you could say. And maybe you have a question about maybe a knee, a hip, a back, an uh, elbow that you hurt, whether you're a weekend warrior or an athlete out on the field. We'd love to have to address your question by emailing us at docsandjocks.com. You can contact us there and love to have you part of our show that way as well. Hey, we'll be right back with more Docs and your sports medicine radio show after this short commercial break. You know you need an MRI. That's what your doctor said. I know, I know, but it's going to cost three, $4,000? Well, it could, but did you tell him that you wanted to go to MDI? MDI? Medical Diagnostic Imaging of Abilene. MDI will save us thousands of dollars. Let me show you. Here, look at the MDI website. Wow, and that's with or without insurance? If you need a CAT scan or MRI, you have a choice. Before you go anywhere else, call MDI for a free price quote. Call 325-695-4624 or go online to mdiofabilene.com. Now that we've saved all that money and my knee is fixed, I think I need a new set of clubs. <laughs> no, we're getting new carpet in the living room. That's MDI of Abilene. Relax. You have a choice. Call 325-695-4624 and make sure you tell them you heard about it on Docs and Jocks. 
no one burns calories like Firehouse Subs. Introducing our hearty and flavorful under 500 calorie menu. Steaming hot sriracha beef, hook and ladder light, turkey cranberry, and more. Six new subs, four new salads, overflowing with flavor under 500 calories. And starting at only $5.49. Under 500 calories never tasted so hearty and flavorful. Firehouse Subs. One bite, one taste, you're hooked. When it comes to sing! Hey, welcome back to Docs and Jocks, your sports medicine radio show. My name is Dr. Dan, coming from inside Docs and Jocks radio studio. Hey, if you're just catching our show for the first time, want to find out more about it, go to uh, docsandjocks.com. Love to have you part of our show any way you can. Joined this week as my co-host, Al Pickett. He is the Hall of Fame sports broadcaster, writer, and author. Hey, Al, before we get to uh, talking about the sports entertainment or in sports medicine in the news right now, uh, tell us a little bit about your book coming. Uh, we've talked about it in the past here, The Mighty Mighty Matadors. Tell us about your book uh, and uh, how it got started and uh, what, where they can uh, find this book they want to read well, it. Well, we had a big celebration at Lubbock Estacado High School last Tuesday. Coach Jimmy Keeling and I spoke. Uh, the book has been in the work about five years. It's been out about a month and a half now. It's the story of Lubbock Estacado, which was the first integrated school in Lubbock in 1967. Played a JV schedule that first year. Then in 1968, their first year of varsity football, they went 14-0, and won a state championship, the only school in Texas history to win a state championship in their first year of varsity football. And uh, it was, uh, you know, the whole story is the backdrop of what was going on in 67 and 68, civil rights movement, Vietnam War, Bobby Kennedy, uh, Martin Luther King assassinations. Yet this team put all that behind them and became uh, such a great football team and still great friends today. The book is available uh, anywhere that uh, sells books online, Barnes & Noble, uh, Amazon, uh, it's in bookstores in Lubbock, uh, Barnes & Noble, uh, in Abilene, uh, at Texas Star. Uh, but you can order it online. In fact, uh, we're really excited. Texas A&M Press, which is our publisher, has already ordered a second printing. So it's really yeah. done really well. And this is your first go-around, not your first rodeo. And uh, no pun intended, we're getting ready to have Rob Schmitz, one of the greatest uh, rodeo guys of all time. But uh, this is your fifth book, I this believe, right? my fifth book, yeah, yes. So. Every one of them is either directly or indirectly dealt with a state championship football team. Yeah. Some of them not directly, but this is probably the most unique one because of integration. And the actual title is Mighty Mighty Matadors, uh, Estacado High School Integration and a Championship Season. You deal with a lot of winners. You're the, the sports broadcast for Hardin Simmons University, was the winningest football program at a collegiate level for an entire decade from 2000 to 2010. A lot of people don't know that even in our area. But uh, then you also have been with Abilene High, went through a state championship run with them. Uh, oftentimes, there was a period of time where they were the greatest team of the century, greatest team on, on in the state for, thou- for 100 years. So then you dealt with a lot of winning teams. It's a lot more fun when you deal with winning <laughs> yeah. teams, right? It's a whole lot yeah. more fun. Yeah. I've got to deal with Al. I've done uh, two games with him at Hardin Simmons University when his co-host uh, couldn't be there, his other broadcaster. And so I've got to fill in. And uh, both times, I think the score was like 60 to <laughs> 7 or something like that. They were just It's routes. more fun if you're the 60 and not <laughs> yeah. the 7. Yes, yes, it is. Yeah, I'm a hard and simple. I'm, and then I'm terrible at trying to be uh, – uh, what's what's the word? Where I, I'm, I'm a Harden Simmons fan. It comes out of me during that game. It just does. So yeah, when it's 67, it's okay, I guess. Yeah. Hey, uh, talking about sports medicine in the news, some of the big uh, stories in the news this week. I'm going to call this the week of fights, Al. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. So let's start with the uh, Yankees Tigers fight. You and I are both uh, huge uh, baseball fans. So the Yankees, the Tigers have one of those uh, brouhaha's that you kind of like. Uh, you see, you know, one guy gets beamed. I think they started off. 
Beeman Gary Sanchez just because he was doing really, really good against him. Right. He had a home run in the fourth yeah. inning, so the fifth <clears throat> inning they hit him. Boom. They hit him. Hey, what's your feeling about that? I mean, is it just because uh, should we? you think fights are should be allowed because it's just part of the game? I mean, if someone's doing really well, is it okay to try and brush them back? You hit them every now and then. Should you purposely throw at them? Give me your take. You've been around a lot of baseball over the years. I, I'm not a fan of hitting them I'm in retaliation. Yeah. I, I just don't think there's a place in baseball. Certainly you have to pitch pitch inside to yeah. to force people off the plate but just because somebody hit a home run off of you and I have a feeling this one went a little deeper Maybe a little, and a little more longer to it, yeah. than yeah a little baseball more players to have it. long memories and and of course now if they hit somebody and the umpire thinks it's intentional then there's a warning given to both teams mm-hmm. and so what followed was then the the uh uh the uh, Yankee pitcher uh, hit uh, the, uh, Miguel, Miguel Cabrera. Cabrera, and then so they tossed them both out, and then Joe Girardi, the manager of the Yankees, came unglued because they didn't toss out uh, uh, Michael Fulmer. And so it just yeah. it just uh, escalated. It ended up being eight ejections. Yeah. And this one was not your, you know, usually your baseball fights yeah. as you go stand and look at each other and a little mm-hmm. wrestling. No. This one had some real punches being yeah. thrown. If I'm going to beam somebody, Miguel Cabrera is pretty far down my list if I'm the pitcher. <laughs> Miguel Cabrera is listed, Al, and see if you believe this. He's listed at 6'4", 240. I don't think Miguel Cabrera has been 240 for a long time. <laughs> Looking at that man, he looks 260 to 280 to me. I, I'm just, I've seen 240, and that doesn't look like 240 to me. I don't think that would be uh, the person I would pick either, but uh, I just, I'm not a big fan of that. So it'll be interesting to see when all the fines come out. But yeah. I heard on a national talk show uh, this morning that, that they were questioning which would have more punches thrown, the Yankees-Tigers yesterday <laughs> or uh, McGregor and uh, Mayweather, Mayweather tomorrow night in Las well, Vegas? Well, if it's like Mayweather-Pacquiao, I guarantee the Yankees-Tigers <laughs> beat that a uh, number of punches thrown for sure. But we're going to talk about that fight as well. Here's also, I, t- I was talking to my son who's a, a young catcher, and I said, Caleb, if you're ever able to make the big leagues, I said, uh, you realize you're the guy that has to stop Miguel Cabrera if your pitcher beams him. One of the jobs of a catcher is to try and grab the guy that's going out there and save his pitcher. So Austin Romine isn't a little guy. He's six foot two eighteen, but he was taking on six foot four. We'll put in air quotes two forty Miguel Cabrera. But he did his job though. He got in the way and uh, took a pretty good blow from Cabrera, but got a few punches in himself. Real interesting. Joe Girardi, the Yankee manager, after the game blamed the umpires for not getting the game under control. I'm not sure if I buy that. The umpires have been under a lot of heat between yeah, they have. Ian Kinsler's uh, comments. Uh, and, yeah. and so it uh, on Angel Rodriguez. And so I, I don't know whether they lost control, but uh, I'm ju- I, just, I just don't think there's a place for throwing at them. And, uh, but you see it about twice a year, don't you, yeah. where somebody a big-time brawl. That was – that was one of the worst ones I've seen. You were involved in one in college. Yeah, wow. You actually remember that. Nobody well, knows that. Yeah, Nebraska, Harden, Simmons. I yeah. was the only media covering there. <laughs> I have some great stories about yeah. that from the Nebraska media calling me for my uh, my response to yeah. it. I always tell the story that uh, they got a bunch of us. When we looked down our uh, bench, we looked like a mash unit. My shirt was ripped. I had a bloody nose, and my teammates were all kind of – the same same look to him, and I looked over in their dugout, and one guy had a piece of cotton ball stuck in his nose, and he was staring me down because I only got we only got one of them, but I got the one. <laughs> I got him in, got him in the nose. So uh, the, yeah. the next week, I had Omaha papers, Lincoln papers, yeah. so all calling me because I was, that was the one a scary person. Fight. That was a very scary fight. Yeah, you realize real quick that you think, ah, you know, these guys don't know me. I don't really know them. It's going to be a kind of a push and shove. No, that was all out. Yeah, I, at one point in time, I thought I either I'm going to punch my way out of this. Or I'm going to die right here. It's one of the two. I remember telling my wife when I came home after Friday's game, one of the three-game series, I've got to make sure I'm there in time for the start of Saturday's doubleheader. 
because we're going to have a fight. Yeah, you, Nebraska you, you was, yeah, Nebraska you was coming. coming. On. My cousin, who uh, lived in Lincoln at the time, uh, when the story hit the Omaha and Lincoln papers, and, and I was quoted in there and said Nebraska had totally started the fight, the uh, my cousin said, well, I don't know the Harden-Simmons coach, but I know the Nebraska coach, so I'm assuming the Harden-Simmons coach is telling the truth. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, uh, they didn't like little Harden-Simmons uh, putting it to him. They did not like getting beat by the little brother, for sure, so. Hey, uh, the other couple of famous fights we could talk about, I mean, ones that I remember, there was one this year, actually, Michael Morse, uh, who plays for the uh, Giants. He's still out with a concussion after having a fight with Jeff Samarja. If you don't know who Jeff Samarja is, he's a pitcher who, by the way, was also a, a star football player for Notre Dame. So he's a big, big pitcher, and he went at it with Michael Morse. Now he's out with a concussion. This is what we're talking about. These, these brawls seem like they're such a high incidence of injury that uh, it really seems kind of nonsensical if you're a guy making millions of dollars playing baseball and now you want to go out and risk it all by swinging at guys you don't really uh, you know, have a real beef with but just doing it because it's the macho thing to do. The one that I remember, Al, uh, that uh, is the St. Louis Cardinals one, is catcher Jason LaRue uh, back in 2010. He was a backup catcher for the Cardinals, and they had a fight that uh, broke out with the Reds, and uh, the pitcher Johnny Cueto kicked Jeff Jason LaRue in the head, and it ended his career. He never did recover enough to get past the post-concussion uh, you know, symptoms that he was having to be able to hit a baseball again, and he was done with his career. One that if you go back in time, one that kind of kept uh, one of the Hall of Famers, a pitch, uh, Hall of Famer that, pitcher that should have been in much sooner is Juan Marichal. Remember he uh, got thrown out by the Dodgers and hit Johnny Roseboro with a bat in the head. So I remember that. Do you remember it actually? Do you remember I, do, that? I, I yeah. do remember that one. The one I remember seeing in person was in the early days of the Kansas City Royals, and I was there and uh, had a seat right down close, and the fight breaks out. It was a collision at the plate, and the bench is empty. This is one of these where they all went out and stood at each other, but there was a big pileup right on the home plate, and Freddie Patek was the uh, shortstop for the Royals. <laughs> yeah, one of the shortest five, players ever five, to play. Five, five yeah. foot four, yeah. and he was one of the last guys out, and when they finally unpiled this whole pile, he was at the bottom. I don't know how he got <laughs> to the bottom, but the other funny thing about that, Frank Howard was ending his career oh, with the Royals. Giant. Six eight. Crew cut. He wasn't playing that day. He comes out of the fight without his cap, smoking a cigarette, <laughs> and uh, he uh, he got fined for being on the field without his cap. And he wasn't part of the fight. He was just standing out there looking at him. Yeah, but, who's taking on but, Frank Howard? But we we did figure out where Frank Howard was. He stood out in the fight. But that's what I remember seeing in person. Yeah, definitely. There's a Vince, and of course the most famous one, probably Nolan Ryan and Robin Ventura. You know, Nolan Ryan. That uh, was funny. <laughs> yeah, I've heard this story uh, told to me multiple different ways, but the one I think the most interesting was when uh, Nolan Ryan told the story of how and why he went after Ventura so quickly. He said that in, a younger, in his early days he was facing Dave Winfield, who he considered a friend. And uh, he, Dave Winfield got upset at him for throwing inside, charged the mound, and he thought he was just going to, you know, kind of talk him out of it or whatever. And next thing you know, Dave Winfield's throwing a haymaker, and he says it just missed Nolan Ryan. He said, if it ever happens again, the next guy coming out here, I'm, I'm going to be the aggressor. So the next guy coming out, Robin Ventura, and then you have the, you know, puts him in the bull, puts him in the headlock, does a little knock on his head a few times, but it was, it was quite the fight. But, yeah, it, it, that's probably the most well-known fight. I think, One of the memorabilia items at a recent Fellowship of Christian Athletes auction was the uh, – says, don't mess with Texas. Yes. There's a picture yeah. of Nolan Ryan with the headlock on Robin Ventura <laughs> and Rugnet Odor punching out Jose Batista <laughs> yeah. at second base last season. Yeah, definitely don't mess with Texas with those two guys for sure. Hey, we'll talk about some of those uh, other fights, uh, more famous fights uh, in the news when we come back. Also going to be talking about uh, 
Mayweather as well as McGregor fight coming up. But on the other side of the segment, we're talking to having a guest on. We have a physical therapist, Jeremy Carver, talking about golf fitness and sports-specific training for golfers. Won't want to miss this if uh, you have a young golfer in your family. Stay tuned here with us on Gossip Jock. Hey, welcome back to Docs and Jocks, sports medicine radio show. My name is Dr. Dan. Great to have you with us today. If you're just catching the show for the first time, man, you can find out more about our Docs and Jocks sports medicine radio show by going to docsandjocks.com. That's D-O-X-N-J-O-X.com. Or you can find us on iTunes on our podcast, Docs and Jocks, D-O-X-N-J-O-X. Joined this week by my co-host, Al Pickett, the Hall of Fame sports broadcaster, writer, and author. Man, great to have Al with me on the show today. Al, we're always uh, very honored to have on special guests, and today is no different. We have in studio with us uh, physical therapist Jeremy Carver, who is with D1 Abilene, as well as uh, Jeremy is also an uh, athletic trainer. And uh, he is currently doing a sports-specific golf training program. And so if you are, are listening and you're a golfer or maybe you have a young son or daughter that also golfs, man, this would be a great segment for you to listen to or tell a friend about. And uh, we'll be talking about how you get golfers fit, keep them from having injury and those types of things. So, Jeremy, kind of tell us how um, you came about thinking about doing a program that is sports-specific for golfers and why it's needed. Well, I think I think the biggest thing is, uh, you know, golfers are, are – are amazing athletes of, of motor control development. I mean, really, they, they, they develop really well in the, from a skill department, but I think the, the strength conditioning training can be definitely uh, have some growth on, on that side of things. Yeah. And so, you know, talking with Hagen and Brandon uh, about... Um, Other coaches with you? Yes, yeah, exactly. Uh, about several, several things about being able to incorporate a group like golf and seeing if we can get some of the athletes in here and, and seeing if we could work on mobility and stability and motor control patterning and things like that to try and help them in their, in their already skill development that they've already continued to work on on a daily basis. One of the things I love uh, is it's, you don't cookie cutter everybody. You don't say, hey, this is a program. You do this exactly the same for every different golfer. Everybody's an individual and everybody's different. And so one person may have a very strong core. You're starting off with a very good foundation, you know, so you have a good, strong base. Some people are very unstable in their core, and they're starting off with a very unstable base, which makes golf very difficult to be, right. you know, precise and accurate over and over again. So you individually measure each of the people that you're working with, each of the golfers, and you find out you get an assessment ahead of time as far as where they're at. I think that's real, one of the really, really neat things about your program. Yeah, so, you know, with any asymmetric sport, you're always going to kind of run into these uh, different – uh, motor patterns that are recruited on a daily basis and so basically what that can end up doing is leading into restrictions in certain directions as well so golfers a lot of the times obviously we, we want to have a great strong core but we want to have t-spine mobility or the upper back mobility as well as hip mobility and shoulders the same thing things start falling apart along the chain due to the same repetitious movement that they do on it on an everyday basis for their sport and so a lot of the assessment process kind of goes into where where can we improve and what is that leading up to some sort of, uh, you know, asymmetric difference there between the two sides that may end up causing an injury later on down the road that'll, that'll, that could also play a role in their performance but also set them back from a, from a sport standpoint and put them out for, you know, a month, two months or whatever. Right, and right. so it's a huge component, I think, to, to all their training is, is trying to figure out what, what, where their deficits are and how can we – can I improve that? And golf is such a unique sport, and that's such a rotational sport. So, you know, I, if, maybe if you're a listener and, he's, and Jeremy's talking about having rotation in your thoracic spine, that's what we call our T-spine, that mid-back area, having rotation in your hips and having rotation in all the different joints that go along with that, that's huge. And, and you, can, you can have actually small little – 
you know, injuries that will decrease that rotation, which then decreases your sports performance. So trying to find that out is a good, good, a great reason to do this program. Yeah. So uh, when we're talking about uh, doing some sports-specific activities, kind of walk us through. You don't have to give the whole, you know, yeah, obviously this is a huge program that you're doing. Kind of give us some of the exercises that you may say this would be a good one in a golfer because it incorporates a lot of the different types of moves they do. So, you know, so like I said, from a mobility stability standpoint, and that's really going to be my main uh, focus on this strength conditioning aspect of this program, um, and that's going to be mainly the, the fact that we, we're trying to integrate – some sort of mobility exercise as far as the hip, as well as a core yeah. stability component, and then integrating T-spine mobility as well. So one thing that you know I'll, I'll kind of incorporate sometimes is where we're in more of a static lunge positioning, so working on both an entire uh, core stability, lower extremity, kind of proprioceptive type activity, and then also opening up that T-spine in, in the opposite direction while you know basically almost tracking with that so in so other you're, words you're lunging and so doing lunging and turning at the same time as you're doing it. yeah but it's a, it's a slow and controlled versus like you know there we do these things sometimes for for like a warm-up it's called an airplane where you're going through and then you do lunge and then you rotate real fast and then you go through the next one lunge the opposite way or, or rotate the opposite way but this is more of a, a standpoint of like actually trying to dissociate the two of what am I doing with my lower body? What am I doing with my core? What am I doing with my T-spine or my upper back? And then working from getting mobility in the right zones while also stabilizing in the right zones. Yeah. So it's all about that dissociation and getting the right recruitment. No wonder I'm such a terrible golfer, Al. I just figured it out, <laughs> man. I'm not smart enough to understand all the stuff that it needs to happen. We're talking to Jeremy Carver, physical therapist. Al, did you have a question for Jeremy? Yeah, I do. You know, you're, you're right. Golf is so much flexibility more than strength. There's a lot of people who think Tiger Woods' problems began when he tried to bulk up and get so much bigger. Your yeah. thoughts about that? <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I remember hearing about um, him being, uh, you know, bench pressing like over 300 pounds. And I remember learning at first, I was like, what, 300 pounds? That's outrageous. So he's, he's out there doing all this type, type of uh, strength training. But, you know, from a standpoint, I think it is, it is going to throw some things off. And I think if they're not doing the right activities or the right strength training, right power development type exercises, then it's only going to mess them up long term. You know, even if you take something like that, that is a bench press, well, that's two things working at the same time. So a lot of what we work on is more in regards to the rotation perspective. So instead of just both arms working, trying to get stronger in a non-functional plane is what I would consider that, um, then for that transfer over into something like sports, uh, like golf, then that, I, th I don't think there's going to be good carryover for that. So instead of it incorporating more of a diagonal pattern of strength training or power training, that's, that's more, that's different. So, you know, bench press would be not a So good if you can maintain your rotation and if you can maintain your mobility and get stronger at the same time, that really is a good thing. If you can yeah. bulk up for, for using that phrase, but if you can get stronger and still maintain those things, but that's what you're trying to do. You're right. trying to maintain mobility, range of motion, yeah. while building strength in a functional pattern. Right. I mean, all golfers care about their club head speed. So if you're not having good club head speed, well, that's going to play a role. They're going to be, not be able to drive the ball as far. It's going to take them longer strokes. There's going to be little factors like that that they obviously want to improve on. And so we, we definitely want to include strength. We definitely want to include power. There may be a mobility restriction that's limiting that. And then there also may be some people that don't have any mobility problems. They just need to train the strength, power, stability component. You know what's interesting, Al, is uh, we use the word functional training. It just means that you're basically mimicking what you're doing in your sport 
while you're working the exercise. So I always say my dad never used the term functional sports training, but he did know the term bailing hay and, and building fence. <laughs> and in a very strange way, those were very functional movements. We used to call it farm boy strong. That's good. But I, I come out here and I'm swinging sledgehammers on a tire. I'm like, man, I'm just building fence back in southern <laughs> Illinois again. And then, uh, you know, we uh, do these, uh, you know, picking up bags and throwing them a diagonal pattern. I'm like, I've been practicing for this my whole life. It was just called bale and hay for the first 10, 15 years of my life. I laugh. We talk about the weight program. My grandson comes here to yeah, D1, yeah. and uh, and what uh, we did back home, we yeah. we picked up bales. Farm boy strong, man. You really were, but it's very functional movements. Yeah, but that's been son. a real that's been a real change in the thought process of how we now train athletes, which seems common sense if they need to do. X, Y, and Z to play a sport, well, let's do exercises that strengthen them with X, Y, and Z in that functional plane. It's kind of a cool way to think of it. Jeremy, have you noticed that in the celebrity, like they have the big uh, uh, golf tournament in Lake Tahoe every year, the big celebrity thing, hockey players make great golfers. No, they do. Yeah, Because it's kind of the same thing, right? No, it is. Yeah, it's definitely. But uh, but pitchers are usually pretty good golfers in baseball, but hitters tend to be pretty stinky golfers. Yeah. Not always. And offensive linemen, not good. Yeah, yeah, offensive yeah, they're, they're not smart enough. I, mean, I didn't say that out, out loud on air. But, no, but baseball players, because of the uh, different swing and the movement pattern, I have a hard time trying to – they always say – it always starts off, okay, keep your front foot down, don't hit your front foot, and then it starts off, you know, you need to – don't try and swing so hard. Well, baseball, I've been trying to swing hard my whole life, you know. Yeah. I mean, that's the goal. I wanted to hit a home run. But yeah, baseball so. player, it is a different, though. There is a different – connection between golf and baseball for sure can, can you help the muscle memory and the reason i say that i had two surgeries last summer and so didn't play for about a, a year and then played for the first time this summer and the old muscle memory was gone <laughs> of making the good contact the second time i played it was better and it would get better the longer i played but what can you do to help that you know, it's sad when, when, you know, our muscle memory that we've worked on so long just goes away just like that. It, <laughs> it does go so, away, too. It's so frustrating. But, yeah, you know, a lot of that just goes back to it does go to sport-specific training and sport-specific practice and things like that. But, you know, even the exercises that we work on are all in that same plane. So we're still trying to stabilize in the right area. We're trying to work on the, the core stabilization through that right zone. So even some of the exercises that we do – even go through some of that movement, whether it be a med ball, either it be cable training, or it would be something along those lines, we're going through that same functional movement pattern as the swing. So. You know, we always talk about core strengthening. I always say the way to think of your core is you're a box with four little pendulums swinging off it is the way to think of a human body. So the core is just that box. And so it's really the foundation. If you don't have a good foundation to your house, it doesn't matter how good the house is. You just have a poor foundation. It's not going to last. It's not going to do well for you. Same thing in your body. If you don't have a good foundation, your core strength, everything else does poorly. Have you noticed, Jeremy, you don't have to give me names or anything, but the good golfers, do they typically have a more stable core than the poor golfers? Have you seen that trend? Um, it, so it all depends on the age, um, to be honest. Yeah. Uh, so the you know asymmetric patterns which is and what i mean by that is just a difference between the two sides the asymmetric patterns just are are a lot more pronounced in a you know someone that's been playing for a lot longer years so even that a 30 year old is going to still differ from a 20 year old just like a 20 year old differs from a 15 year old and then obviously past past injuries play a huge role too but i will say that that the the golfers as a whole the ones that um are a little bit better do have less asymmetries going on However, it's, it's because they've probably been educated a little bit more on, in regards to that. So they start doing some of the strength conditioning outside of just, okay, I'm going to hit the golf club and I'm going to only go to these lessons and things like that. They're probably also doing some sort of strength conditioning outside of their regular playing period. 
I was working with a physical therapist one time, and he gave his entire speech. He happened to be a great golfer, too, and he was talking to golfers. So he gave his entire talk, his lecture, while sitting on a Swiss ball with his knees on the Swiss ball, sitting up just <laughs> his knees, and he's bouncing on a Swiss ball the entire lecture because he was talking about core strengthening and the ability yeah. to have a good foundation to be yeah. able to control your core while you're swinging. Yeah. It, it just it made an automatic impression on me. I'm like, this guy knows what he's talking about just because he was able to do that. I yeah. tried after lecture just get on the ball, and I was able to like, like two seconds, and he gave the whole lecture on it. So there's, there's, there's something to put in your arsenal in case you want yeah, to decide no, to do that. That's good. What's the biggest injury of golfers? Is it back injuries? My back is, yeah, definitely a big, big player. Yeah, your back is uh, because it's such a, uh, you know, you have two little joints at every level in your back house, so all the way up and down. Your back is like a tripod. You know, you got the big bones in the front, the disc in the front, so you got the big structure in the front, and then you got two little hinge joints in the back. So every time you rotate, what stops you from rotating partially is that those little joints click on each other, they stop each other. There's a bony stop at some point in time. So over and over and over again, doing a lot of twisting and rotation puts a tremendous amount of stress. We see stress fractures in young athletes a lot of times where the growth plates aren't fused, and then in older athletes we'll see uh, either their discs start getting irritated or they get that, those joints start hurting. They're called facet joints. So pretty common. Do you also see, have you, uh, you know, obviously you get golfer's elbow, you know, you've heard of that as well. And there's lots of unique injuries to golfers. But, yeah, is, is that one of your goals of the program is to decrease those injuries in the athletes so they can stay on the, on the course? Yeah, that, I mean, that's the idea is to, you know, prevention only goes so far, but that is, that is definitely something that is the, the same mindset is, is if we can recruit things appropriately, it, then hopefully that will minimize some of the trauma to these other areas. I think the biggest problem with the, the, the lumbar spine or that, that the lower back, why we have so many problems with that is because our hips are really supposed to be pretty mobile mm-hmm. and our upper back supposed to be mobile. A lot of times what we're doing is we're, we're not getting the mobility from the right zone. So if we start getting from that from the mobility we or that from that lumbar spine or that lower back, then that messes up the whole chain. It starts letting the hips start getting a little bit tighter. T-spine starts getting a little bit yeah. tighter. And that throws everything off. And the, the lumbar spine or the lower back was never meant to be a mobility component. So I think if we can dissociate, you know, that, that T-spine, upper back from lower back, and then hip from lower back as well, then hopefully that will help minimize some of that, that most common injury. Al, you never knew that the song, you know, the ankle bone connected to the knee bone connected to the hip bone. It really does work that way, by the way, in the real body. <laughs> I must not be able with my golf game to get all those bones connected at the same time. <laughs> and then in golfers, I always say they're kind of like runners, too. Have you seen this, Jeremy, that they're very type A personality? They, they, they want to pay attention. They oh, almost yeah. like take notes. Oh, and yeah. then They do not want to miss time on the golf course, and they want to no. get better. They're very, very – like I always say, if you give a – you tell a golfer or a runner that, hey, this injury is going to keep you from playing golf or running, what they really hear, they interpret that as, well, I guess I need a second opinion because they're not <laughs> going to stop. So they're a very type A personality. Would you agree? Oh, yeah, I definitely would. Very you driven. know, it's actually been fun running through some of these assessments with some of the athletes because every one of them was like, was that good? Was that good? <laughs> what do I need to do to what's my score? change that? Did yeah, what's win? my score? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was like, was that a good one? Was that a good one? Or, yeah. or what do I do to prevent that? What do I do this? Yeah. So they've been very in, in, inquisitive. And so that's been, that's been actually really, really fun to work with them on all that stuff. Well, if someone is interested and uh, maybe they're interested themselves or they have a young athlete uh, that's golfing and they'd be interested in doing your uh, golf-specific sports training program, how would they go about uh, getting involved? So um, we, we have it on Tuesday and Thursday nights from 7 to 8. And then Brandon, if you would call him. Brandon at, Hawk, yeah. Yeah, at D1 Abilene. Um, and that would be the, the person to contact in regards to actually getting involved with the, Perfect. With the program. Yeah, so we're ex- you excited? To, and the class is growing. And you've got adults. And so this is for all ages. It's adults all yes. the way down through uh, young kids. And they're yeah, we, we're kind of stopping at that high school level. Yeah. Um, but uh, uh, outside of that, then, yeah, we, we're, we're focusing on the kids all the way uh, and all the way up until, you know, 
as, as old as they want to go. Well, you got Vince so, Viola, my, 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 my <laughs> physician assistant there. He's like 80, so yeah. <laughs> no, he's like my age. So anyway, he is old, though. Yeah. Hey, I want to say thank you to Jeremy Carver, our physical well, therapist you, here man. at D1 Abilene, for coming on. I can tell you what, man, I love these types of programs because you're not teaching them golf, but you're teaching them how to be better athletes within their sport. So when the golf coaches get them, they have better athletes, which then makes their job very easy to go on and win another state championship or whatever they want to do in their, right. in their field. So Exactly. You know, we're not, we're not taking their place at all. Yeah. We're just – Helping, helping everything go along from a strength conditioning perspective. It sounds like Aldi's getting involved in it so he can get his uh, hand-eye control back or whatever, his, uh, your, your training back. I need help. There we go. All help. right. <laughs> hey, there you can do it by going to D1 Abilene. Find out about the golf-specific class with Jeremy Carver, physical therapist. Hey, we'll be right back with more Docs and Jocks after this short commercial break. Jocks brought to you in part by Joe Walker State Farm Insurance, Visual Edge, and Texas Sport and Spine. Touchdown. Now back to more Docs and Jocks with Dr. Dan and Ferris. Hey, welcome back to Docs and Jocks, uh, your sports medicine radio show. And this week, actually, my co-host is Al Pickett. Al is a longtime Hall of Fame sports broadcaster, writer, and author doing my show with me today, filling in for the uh, great Ferris Potter, the sports broadcaster for Grand Canyon University, who's out this week traveling. So, uh, Al, we've had on some uh, great interviews, and we have another one online with us right now. We have on Jim. He goes by Train Ward. Train was a longtime uh, not only professional baseball player, but then went on, was a uh, coach with the uh, Los Angeles Dodgers. He was at the Dodgers organization, the Houston Astros organization. He uh, also, by the way, is a Hall of Fame college baseball player where he is in the College Baseball Hall of Fame or College Sports Hall of Fame for University of Arizona where he was a Wildcat and pitched in three different College World Series. Has an unbelievable, if you ever want to look up some the best college baseball stats of a pitcher, man, go to Jim Train Ward at University of Arizona and look up some great stats there. But he uh, also went on to become the batting practice pitcher for the Los Angeles Dodgers during all those great 1970s games and World Series they had against the uh, New York Yankees. So we have a line, Jim Train Ward. Train, thanks for being on the show. Well. Glad to be here with you and uh, be back in Abilene, and thanks for having me. Yeah, so, hey, you know what's great, Train, this time of the year? You know, uh, we kind of start getting a feel for the playoff baseball, where we might be headed. And your Los Angeles Dodgers, to say they have had a good year, is uh, very much in underestimating how, how well their year has been gone this year. So, man, one of the best seasons ever in Los Angeles Dodgers history thus far. Man, tell us, what kind of did you see this coming with your Los Angeles Dodgers? Is it something that kind of just came out of the blue? Or kind of give us your take. Well, I, you know, it's, uh, it's an amazing run they've had. And, and to see, uh, see the, you know, Bellinger coming up and stroking, what has he got now, 26, 27 home runs? Yeah. It's, a, it's incredible uh, what they've done and to have to win 90 ball games already at this point in the season. It's incredible. Yeah. Didn't see it coming. No, didn't see it. What was the uh, best team that you remember uh, playing for or against or the best team maybe that you saw? You saw some of those great Los Angeles Dodgers teams that went on to play the New York Yankees in the World Series. Do any of those teams come to stand out uh, compared to the team they have now? I mean, you, you saw the Garvey, Say, Lopes, Russell years. I mean, do those teams, do they uh, look a lot like the team you see this year? Well, they, yeah, the, you know, the 77 ball club was really a good uh, ball club, you know, with a guy, all three, four guys hit over 30 home runs that year. And, uh, anyway, they, you know, it's, uh, I don't think there's a comparison of it this year. Yeah. Al? Well, I was going to say, 
go back to your playing career, uh, you were in the system with the Dodgers, Jim, when a couple guys named Koufax and Drysdale were <laughs> yeah. pitching. Uh, maybe as good a one-two combination in baseball history with those two, wasn't it? Oh, yeah, 63-64, you know, back-to-back National League pennants. And, uh, yeah, they were they – were, uh, that was – Quite a quite an era of Dodger baseball, yes. When you look at Kershaw, and I know we've asked you this before on the air, but for those maybe who haven't heard you uh, talk, you've seen you're one of the few that have seen both Koufax and Kershaw in person. How do you compare those two? I know they get compared a lot. But they're both Los Angeles Dodgers. Both were the most dominant pitchers of their era for a short time with Koufax and for quite a while with with uh, Kershaw now. How do you compare those two and, and talk about the both the likenesses and the differences between those two pitchers? Well, uh, as far as Koufax go, goes, he was uh, so dominant with his fastball, and he had a dynamic curveball. I saw him struck at Willie Mays four times one night. Willie just shook his head. And he says, he, I can't hit that. But, <laughs> That's pretty good, Al. That's pretty good. <laughs> but, yeah, Kershaw, you know, they're different styles. Kershaw... He, uh, you know, he has a little different style. You know, Koufax to me was just, uh, you know, overbearing to a hitter. Kershaw has a lot more finesse, I think, but he's still got great stuff and gets guys out. That's the whole thing. He throws strikes. Jim, what about Kershaw's delivery? He certainly has an unusual delivery compared to most. Yeah, you know, he drops down on his back leg, and, you know, that's a <clears throat> kind of an oddity. Uh, but that's his style, and you know he he's able to push push off and you know get get his body into his motion. And, and uh, I wouldn't recommend that to kids. You know, I don't I don't think that's the best way to go. But that's what he did, and he's successful with it. So let him do it. You know, Jim, you were around the staff that maybe the Dodger would say was the greatest of all time with. Koufax, Drysdale, Sutton, I'm leaving somebody out. Johnny Padres, I think, was one of the great Dodgers starting pitchers of that era. Now you're looking at yeah. the Dodgers staffs. A lot of people are saying are the one that was one of the greatest staffs probably, possibly ever put together for the Dodgers since then with Kershaw, Rich Hill. Now you've got Hugh Darvish in the mix. It's an incredible staff now. I mean, kind of compare the entire starting staffs from that 19, you know, late 60s, early 70s to the one they have now. Well, um, you know, now I think, you know, I mean, overall they got better starting pitchers, you know, I think. But back in those days, you know, you had, uh, you know, behind Kershaw, I mean, uh, Koufax and, and Drysdale, you know, Osteen. And, uh, well, Sutton came along later. He was one of the most consistent good pitchers that the Dodgers ever had, you know. Look yeah. at his record, you know, in the Hall of Fame, too. So, but uh, now this staff nowadays, it's just incredible what they've lined up. And, uh, you know, they should have no excuse for not winning something big, in my estimation. Well, they've also put together, Jim, maybe as good a bullpen as there yeah. is in baseball right now. Yeah. Well, uh, Jansen, you know, he's got – he, he throw, well, he's sort of like um, – what's a great pitcher the Yankees had for so long? A Mariano Rivera. Uh, yeah, Rivera, he's got that, uh, you know, that fastball that just rides in on the right-hander, and it's, it doesn't happen until it gets right at the plate. So, 
everybody talks about the great pitching, and obviously the Dodgers have great pitching this year. But for me, when I watch a Dodgers game, my favorite part to watch are these young hitters. I mean, you got Bellinger, you got Corey Seager, Puig's still relatively young and doing his thing. He seems to have found a kind of a stride, midseason stride right now. I just enjoy watching these guys hit. You never, all the way up and down the lineup, they're just really potent all the way through. You don't really have a weak spot in the lineup. No, they don't. Uh, you know, Turner's having a great year. Guys consistently hitting over, well over 300, 330, I think, or so. And uh, it's a it's a, an incredible ball club. And, you know, Adrian Gonzalez is back now. And uh, that uh, Taylor, that outfielder, that guy, young guy, he just gets base hit after base hit. And then adding Granderson to the mix, <laughs> yeah. they've got a – Pretty good ball club. I hate to see P- Jock Peterson get demoted because, uh, you know, he's got the potential to hit it out of the ballpark any place, but, you know, making contact is tough for him. You know, you, I've heard you talk about uh, learning to pitch the Dodger way and how there was really a consistency through the minor leagues on how they taught you to play the game and how they taught you to pitch and what they wanted you to do to get to the next level. It seems that way right now when I watch Dodger hitters come up and they've been through the Dodger system, they all have a really high launch angle. They really look like they're trying to get you know the ball in the air. They look like they're swinging really, really hard. I mean, it looks like there's a very consistent pattern to how these young guys are coming up and swinging it. And we, Kind of talk to us about how in the minor leagues there seems seems to be a way where you know the coaches are teaching you to hit their way and how that gets carried through the farm system and then in the big leagues. Right. Well, um, yeah, it starts there in the minor leagues. There's no doubt about it. And uh, obviously, Bellinger, God, he's who's ever been teaching him how to swing the bat. <laughs> they've done a great job. You know, it's so surprising. You know, he makes contact. Yeah, and when he does, he hits the ball so hard. So, and that's consistent. Uh, you know, uh, that's what you need. You know, and playing in the high levels of baseball, you got to be consistent. And he's been there. So, it's sort of see him get hurt the other night. I was watching that game and twisted his ankle, and you know, Monday night. And uh, it's very rare I get to see him play. You know, on TV, I don't have MLB. I'm, I was gone all summer anyway. Got to go. To the top of the World Series. There you go. You heard of that? No. It's up in Alaska, man. <laughs> it was so cool. I had a great time. <laughs> Jim, how, well, how, how late at night do they play without lights? Are they playing at 2 or 3 in the morning? Uh, they can. Oh, yeah. You know, it's, uh, you know, in June, around the end of June, they can play all night long if they want to, you know. But, uh, yeah, it's a beautiful league they have up there. And, uh uh, I got to go to quite a few of the games, you know, especially the playoffs and then the, uh, you know, the, they call it, they call it top of the World Series. It's oh, that's a collegiate cool. league in the Alaska Baseball League. So oh, that's awesome. that was fun. Yeah, it was fun to see the kids, yeah. Hey, I want to get your take, Jim, on a couple things. One of them is Dodger-related, one of them isn't. But I want to get your take on the Rich Hill going into the 10th inning with a no-hitter, and they continued to pitch him. He ended up letting up a home run, lost not only, the obviously, the no-hitter, the shutout, and the win. But I remember you and I talking about how if you were in the middle of a no-hitter and somebody tried to come and take you out of the game, there might little be a little brouhaha there on the mound. But did you enjoy watching a guy want to go into the 10th inning, try and get that no-hitter, and try and do it for his team? Well, uh, I think uh, Rich Hill would have, you know, he he was wanting to go out there, I'm sure. You know, you didn't want to lose 
you know, he'd probably okay losing a game one to nothing, a guy hitting a dinger off him in the tenth inning rather than being pulled. And uh, you know, maybe maybe would have had a no hitter, but uh, anyway, I just it's, it's a shame the guy pitches that well and the team can't score any runs, especially that ball club. You know, dang yeah. it. Yeah, I have to give a hand it to the uh, kids that pitch for Pittsburgh, too. You know, they, they pitch very well, obviously. I wanted to get your take, too, on the recent uh, Yankees-Tigers uh, brawl on the field. I know you were involved in some of those melees out back in the day, and it seems like something we don't uh, necessarily see quite as much as we did back in the 50s, 60s, 70s. So what? give me your take, and uh, also uh, give us uh, any stories you might have about some of the uh, full-on bench-clearing brawls you were involved in. Oh gosh, uh, <laughs> there there was a, a number of them, but uh, I remember I remember one of them that really stands out in my mind. Where uh, I was trying to get a uh, clear up a big beehive out in the second base area, and I grabbed a guy by the back of the shirt and, and the pants and threw him over my shoulder. <laughs> and it happened to, happened to be the, their coach named Gordon Maltzberger. I don't know if you ever remember that guy, but uh, anyway, yeah, he told me he broke I broke two ribs. Wow. <laughs> and, uh, I didn't know it was him, you know. I just had a different uniform on, and uh, they were trying to beat up my my left fielder, you know, who had slid into second base. <laughs> anyway, that was in the Pioneer League when we were kids, and you know, fighting was fun. <laughs> so, wow! But anyway, yeah, I've had a few, you know, altercations in you know Coast League and stuff. And uh, oh, I, I'll tell you another really funny story. Uh, uh, about, we were playing in San Diego in the PCL, and uh, that's when they were in the uh, Pacific Coast League. And anyway, I, I uh, one of my nemesis is pitching against with a guy named Lee May. Yeah, of course. And, uh, Great home runner. Hit, hit home. He hit a lot of home runs in the big leagues, but I, I had a tough time getting him out in the PCL on his way up to the bigs. And <laughs> anyway, I knocked him down one night. And uh, after he'd hit a home run off me, I guess it was about the second inning when he came up about in the fourth and, you know, decked him. And and uh, anyway, we, we had this third baseman, J.C. Hartman. And prior to the game, they told us that was when they had those Watts riots and stuff going on yeah. in, in uh, California. And they were in Sparking and San Diego as well. So I said, under the league told us under no circumstances will there be any kind of fighting on the field. <laughs> so anyway, this uh, our third baseman J.C. Hartman. He came over and handed me the ball after uh, I'd given up the home run. You know, the umpire put put the next ball back in play. And he says, "What you trying to do, man? Start a riot?" <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Al, you got a question? He was funny. Funniest guy in the world. And, you know, we had a lot of black players that I played with all the years. And, you know, it was fun to be with those guys and learn, you know, about them. You know, I just had so much fun. And I guess uh, Al right there, you know, he wrote this new book. Mighty Mighty uh, Matadors. Estacado High School up there in Lubbock, and I'm anxious to read it because, uh, you know, I grew up in California, and we never had any kind of discriminatory practices out there, so it'd be interesting to read that book. Well, I hope you can. I'll get one to you, Jim. I'm curious about the the approach of players. It strikes me that today 
the the hitters aren't worried about strikeouts. Where when the time you played, it seems like uh, it was bad to strike out. Now they're they're willing to strike out two times if they get a home run one time. You think their approach is different today? Oh yeah, you know the the long ball is you know where it's gone to. You know, but one of the things about uh, to what I see in today's pitchers compared to the old timers, you know, the old time guys were always around the plate, you know, inside up, you know, up and in and down and away. And you, you know, it was real close to the plate all the time, close to the strike zone. Nowadays, the guys throw, you know, you never know where it's going. I've seen jump catchers jumping all over the place <laughs> trying to catch the ball in the big leagues. You know, and that never used to happen then. So, anyway, the hitters, I think, you know, they they have wild swings nowadays. You know, they swing hard, and they can hit the ball to all fields, whereas back in the older days, you know, you had to be able to really pull the ball. Wow. The hitters did, to, you know, give it, drive the ball out of the ballpark. So, well, train our interview is always too short here, man. I always love having you on. You're my favorite baseball player of all time. You ought to go check out uh, Jim Train Ward. Check out his college baseball stats at University of Arizona. You'll be stunned. One of the greatest pitchers of all time to ever play for University of Arizona, and also my favorite guest here on Docs and Jocks. Train, thanks so much for being on the show. All right, I'm glad to have me, man. I'm. I'm uh, <laughs> Appreciate it very much. I'll see you around. Okay, sounds Football's good. Football's coming. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. Hey, we're see right you, back with more Docs and Jocks, your sports medicine radio show after this short commercial break. You're listening to Docs and Jocks, brought to you in part by Buffalo Wild Wings, First Financial Bank, and MDI Abilene. Touchdown. Now back to more Docs and Jocks with Dr. Dan and Ferris. Hey, welcome back to Docs and Jocks, your sports medicine radio show. Great to have you with us today. Hey, if you're just catching our sports medicine radio show for the very first time, want to find out more about it, you can go to docsandjocks.com, D-O-X-N-J-O-X.com, or you can catch us on our iTunes podcast, Docs and Jocks, D-O-X-N-J-O-X. Listen to us anytime, anywhere at your convenience. Join this this week. Honored to have on Hall of Fame sports broadcaster, writer, and author, my co-host Al Pickett. Hey, Al, we are very, very excited about this interview. We've wanted to do this for a long time, but we are having on Rob Schmitz. Man, to talk about Rob's accolades is going to be very difficult. We wouldn't have any interview at all if I listed everything he's ever done. But he's a 2006 Pro Rodeo Hall of Famer. He is a five-time Wrangler World Champion Bullfighter, only one to be named that many times. 2010, he was named the Texas Rodeo Cowboy Hall of Fame. 2011, he's a PBR Heroes and Legends celebrity. Jim Shoulders, Lifetime Achievement Award winner in the 2017 named the Bull Riding Hall of Fame. Hey, Rob, thanks for being on Docs and Jocks. Hey, I'm proud to be part of it. How y'all doing today? We're doing great, man. It's so good to hear your voice. You know, I didn't list the other thing that you're most famous for is uh, Coach David Hess said he trained you, and that's what you're, that, he actually made you into the man that you are. Is that true? <laughs> well, I tell you what, I... I couldn't have a better guy to get to work with, and you know I was blessed to play a game I love for a long, long time. Oh, I know. And Coach Coach has absolutely helped me with the longevity of my career by keeping me in great shape there at the end. That uh, it was always good to walk into the locker in there at four thirty in the morning. He always <laughs> smiled and was ready to give you a little bit of pain. You know, everybody who's listening and we hear about bullfighters, when I go to rodeo, I think you guys are the most amazing people out there. I know the bull riders are amazing too, but you're the ones responsible for keeping them safe and you put yourself in harm so they don't get injured. 
go walk us through when you're when you're a young man and you're thinking about going in a career how did you become a bullfighter and how did you think this is what i want to do for the rest of my life you know uh, actually my dream was to play center field for the san francisco giants yeah of course yeah i I lived i lived overseas uh quite a bit in my younger days my dad did heavy construction work and i lived in thailand and australia singapore puerto rico and in Australia, I got on my first couple of cabs trying to ride them and got my interest in rodeo. Wow. And then when I came back home, the end of my eighth grade year, my freshman year, I started going to junior rodeos and high school rodeos. And by the, by the beginning of my junior year, one day, I just got done riding a bull, and I was sitting on the fence, and I kept telling the guys that were the bullfighters there, hey, get up there, get closer to them. And they said, you think it's so easy? Get your butt off the fence and get out here and show us how. And, wow! And not did you that ever? I did anything? Not that I did anything awesome, but just man, a couple of near misses and that adrenaline rush, and I, I just I fell in love with it. Wow! You know, pretty soon, pretty soon they started paying me for something I I had fun doing. And you know, when you when a person is blessed to get to have a job like that, you're, you're not working when you love to show up at what you do. That, which is which is how I would explain Coach S. He loves what he yeah, does. Yeah, he does, yeah. And, you know, he is proud to watch people get the improvement that they come through with, with their life as they get in better shape. And, you know, the one thing I share with people at my schools that I put on is there's two things in life. You can never be in too good a shape. Wow. And the other thing is you can never be too polite. Oh, and, that's awesome. Uh, those are two things to live by. And by the way, Rob, you have the coolest nickname of all time, the Kamikaze Kid. How did you come about that uh, moniker, that nickname? Who gave you that? You know, I came across the Kamikaze. There was a lot of guys said that I had a death wish, and I would always tell them, <laughs> I, said, I, don't, I don't have a death wish. There's just a lot of things that I feel I can do that a lot of you guys don't believe you can do. And, uh, you know, it's just like in the Bible. The Father tells us, be strong and of good courage. Do not be discouraged or dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Yeah. If you walk with that courage and we walk in belief, then he's going to make things happen. Oh, that's so awesome. Hey, speak of the Bible, you have a, uh, there's a, is it a biblical name? Jeremiah is your bull, I think, that you own. 46-1 and one or something like that on the PBR trail. You're raising bulls now, so you've been protecting uh, cowboys from these bulls, and now you're raising the bulls. Tell us a little about your uh, bull, Jeremiah. I've got, I've got a bull called Jeremiah 33-3. just turned. 48, 48 and one in his career. Wow, forty eight. He, he was ridden one. He was ridden one time a year and a half ago by world champion Jeremy Marchi. So they're actually one and one. Marchi's been on him twice. Rode him once. He threw, bucked him off once. He's had everybody that has great stats in the PBR has been on him. Wow. Um, just just last week in Nashville, he threw off the number five in the world. Young man Derek Kobaba out of Oregon. That's the second time that young man's been on him. He's named after the scripture Jeremiah thirty-three three. When I, when I got saved twenty years ago, I had a friend of mine say, "I've got a direct hotline to Jesus," and he said, "It's a one. It works like a one eight hundred number." Well, the, the scripture that he gave me was Jeremiah thirty-three three, and the, and what the scripture says is. Call unto me, and I will answer thee, and I will show, and I will show thee great and mighty things thou didn't know. And so far, Jeremiah thirty-three three has sure come through with it because the bull's been outstanding. I raised him from a calf, so 
it's kind of like a proud papa, you know. It's, <laughs> it's good to see him keep, keep knocking them guys off. Oh, absolutely, Al. Rob, what's a, of all your bullfighting, what's the scariest moment you've ever had? You know, um, there's been a few of them that I've been through. The as far as with the cowboy with with a cowboy and, and protecting guys, uh, the tough heat of an ordeal in Las Vegas oh, that yeah. year that he hung hung up to that bull stinger for so long, obviously was round and round. And then there was a good cowboy named Ross Johnson that hung up one year at the tough heat heat of an Invitational in Fort Worth, and and he hung for quite a while. And also once again the next year. Same guy, we were in Greensboro, North Carolina, and he hung up to a bull for quite a while. But, you know, you're, the tough part of my job was standing, it's like standing on a street corner waiting for a wreck and then jumping in. You don't ever know, you don't ever know how bad it is. I guess the, the closest people that could understand it would be firemen and, and police officers because you, they, they take a phone call and they don't ever know how bad it's going to be when they get there. So, Obviously, you have to plan for the worst. You hope for the best, and with a little luck, it ends up somewhere in the middle. That's where it comes, though, that it's so important to have a good set of fundamentals because a fundamentally sound team is always tough to beat. You know, we're talking to Rob Schmitz, probably the greatest bullfighter of all time in uh, rodeo. And uh, I'm going to call name this uh, next segment here, uh, Rob. Uh, so you want to be a bullfighter. Here's some of the things that you've uh, had injured over the years. You suffered a broken neck he, three times, Al. Three times he's had a broken wow. neck. Amazing. <laughs> this has put himself in the you line. Had to, you had to start with that. Didn't oh, you? my goodness. And you've been gored by a bull's horn and also uh, broke your leg. And so – you know, walk us through, you know, you're one of the toughest guys on the planet. Obviously, you're a humble man. You're not going to say that, but I'll definitely say that for you. How do you overcome when you had that kind of an injury to your neck and you're going back out there knowing that you're putting yourself in harm's way to save these Cowboys? Tell us how, is there a mental side to it? How are you able to put that behind you and go out and do what you do on a nightly basis and help these guys? You know, it was uh, five major injuries in 30 years, so it wasn't, it wasn't too bad. Uh, I was Gordon 85 in Salt Lake City. I broke my neck the first time in 92, and I broke C4, C4 5, and 6, the one that the football player, yeah. Utley, and the, and the other boy both broke. One of them's in a wheelchair. One of them ended up walking away from it. Fortunately, I, I never received any paralysis, no numbness. Uh, you know, I got, I got back to healed up, and I've been fighting bulls since I was in high school. I mean, I, it's, it's what I knew, how I knew how to make a living. It was my job. Yeah. So when people said, people would say, well, why would you go back and fight bulls again? Well, it's what I do for a living. And my answer always was, and that was still before I had gotten saved, was that if God meant for me not to fight bulls, he'd have made it so I couldn't. So <laughs> I, came back, I came back again in, in 1996, and I, I break my neck again in 90, September of 96, and I break C1 in three places. That's the one that Christopher Reeves that yeah, broke. right. So once again is a perfect opportunity to be in a wheelchair and blowing blowing through a straw to control things. And fortunately, God didn't have it; that wasn't in His plan. Uh, and then I broke it the last time in 2006. I was uh, 46 years old, and I uh, I had talked about retiring at the end of that year. I think really that that broken neck came at a time where God just said, "You know what." We're going we're gonna to close this chapter of the book. 
And I think if I would have been healthy at the end of the year, it might have been really hard for me to, to give it up. And so I, I believe that, you know, it was a, a way of the father to end a chapter and also for me to start turning the page and, and moving on. And now I try to go and share at a lot of churches and share God's goodness and, and let people be aware that, you know, we don't have to clean up and that we can make a lot of mistakes, but that the father's standing there. He went to the cross and shed his blood for us, and he's standing there with open arms, not with a finger pointing accusations at us, but that he's there to forgive us. All we got to do is turn around and uh, try a different way. Oh, that's so awesome. You know, and I've had the uh, fortunate uh, honor of being kind of seeing a bird's-eye view of what you and uh, how the uh, bullfighters and the uh, rodeo cowboys, how they interact. As I've been part of that Wrangler uh, medical van where I've got to come in, and Justin medical van where I've got to go in and see how you guys interact both before and after the rodeos. And really kind of describe that relationship because I was so surprised at how, one, how you really knew each other so well and there's that relationship. You're not just protecting another you know, guy out there riding, uh, trying to ride a bull. You're actually out there protecting your friends, and that relationship, that bond that you guys have really surprised me at how tight it was. Well, as you mentioned, that bond, and especially when you got to the level of the PBR, and so week in and week out I'm going and I'm protecting the best 45 guys in the world, and I'm working with two other good guys that are great bullfighters themselves that, uh, you know, we just – Day by day, you you go in there, and, and they're guys that you would go to war with. They're yeah, guys that yeah. you depend on because I knew that if I went down, they're coming for me, and if they know that if they go down, I'm there for them, the other bullfighters. And those bull riders, you know, we let them know, hey, we're there for you. But what I want you to do is, once again, I go back to fundamentals of the sport. When you hear that whistle at eight seconds, don't just open your hand and get off. Wait for me to step in. Wait to listen for my voice, for me to talk to you about, I've got the bull in control, going the direction I want him to go, for you to get off the bull properly. And if you'll do your fundamentals right and I do mine right, we should both walk out of here and it should be a good night at the office. When we start getting sloppy in our fundamentals, that's where somebody gets hurt. You know, And my goal was, all of our goals are, I want to see somebody ride in and I want to see them walk out. One of the amazing things I, th- I think I learned about bullfighters, too, is how, how great of athletes you are. You have to be incredibly quick, explosive. You have to be able to both, you know, cut on a dime. You have to be able to jump on a dime. You have to be quicker than a bull. I mean, it's just an amazing how much uh, of an athletic performance you guys put on when you get to see it up close, like I've had the fortunate honor of doing. Talk about how you train and how you train your body so for, to be in this sport for 30-plus years like you were, how you train your body to stay fit to be able to do that. Well, and I, I went all the way back to ACU with Coach Hess, you know, and, and Coach Hess, as I was getting older, he was the one that kept me explosive and stuff. You've got to be a good anticipator, but with the with the drills that Coach Hess set up for me, you know, all those kettlebell drills that made me drunk, drunk, sweat, and think I was dying. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, when it, all, when it all came down to it, at 46 years old, I was keeping up with guys that were in their 20s you know, so so it is important. It is about being in good shape. And Coach Hess knew what I needed, and, and he set me up with a with a great program. And like I said, 4.30 in the morning, he'd have a smile on his face. And, Come on, Rob, let's get after it. Uh, you know, I, I, owe, I owe all the longevity of my career to Coach Hess. 
Hey, and some, tell us some of the young bullfighters out there. I'm sure they get your advice a lot and ask for your advice. I would if I was in their shoes. Tell us about some of the young bullfighters that you enjoy watching and uh, that you've had a good time uh, trying to give some advice to. Well, as, as you mentioned, we were talking the other day when I was up there. I got to come through town, and I delivered a truck up that way, selling some Dodge pickups now. But I stopped by and saw Coach Hess, and we were talking, you know, guys like Dusty Tuckness and, and Chuck Swisher, and, and there's a lot of good talent out there. The thing is, that us being young, and I remember being there, is we get to relying so much and taking for granted our physical attributes that, God has blessed us with, and really we've got to, uh, you know, go ahead and get in good shape and stay after it. And sometimes, you know, you think, oh, well, heck, I'm fighting 100-plus performances a year. I'm in, I'm in good shape as it is. We, a guy doesn't need to get complacent. You need to keep digging. Hey, Robin, we just got a short uh, little time here left. We've got about a minute left. But I want to, uh, because we're here in the big country, and there's a lot of people love rodeo. And there are a lot of young people listening to our show right now who would like to do what you did for 30-plus years as a career. If you could look back on your career and give them a couple pieces of advice, what would that be? The biggest thing I would say is, obviously, to stay in good shape because you can never be in too good a shape. The other thing is, it's just like what I started with, too, politeness. Don't be afraid to say yes, sir, yes, ma'am. Don't be the one that always has the quick last answer. People will go out of their way to help you if you're polite. Oh, when, you're awesome. a smart ass, when you're a smart ass, nobody wants to help <laughs> that's you. That's so awesome. Hey, that's coming from Rob Schmetz, the greatest uh, rodeo bullfighter of all time. Man, Rob, I want to say thank you so much for coming on uh, Docs and Jocks. Coach Hess said you were the uh, not only a great athlete but a great human being, and I would totally agree after that uh, interview we just had. Hey, you're, you're welcome to come on Docs and Jocks anytime. Thank you so much. I'll get back up there. Hey, guys, thanks so much. You just made my day. All right. Thank you so much. Made our day. And we're right back with more Docs and Jocks after this short commercial break. You're listening to Docs and Jocks, brought to you in part by Sylvan Learning Center, Dr. Melton Chiropractic, and Texas Sports Hall of Fame. Touchdown. Now back to more Docs and Jocks with Dr. Dan and Ferris. Hey, welcome back to Docs and Jocks, your sports medicine radio show. My name is Dr. Dan, coming from inside Docs and Jocks Radio Studio. Great to have you with us. Hey, remember, you can follow our show anytime, anywhere on our iTunes podcast, Docs and Jocks, D-O-X-N-J-O-X. Uh, also, uh, you can also follow us at docsandjocks.com and uh, get us uh, listen to any previous interview you might have missed, just like the one uh, we just had with Rob Schmetz. Uh, Al Pickett is my co-host this week. Al is the Hall of Fame sports broadcaster, writer, and author, who is also the president of the Big Country Hall of Fame. Hey, Al, I'm going to go ahead and put a vote in for Rob Schmetz to be in the next Big Country Hall of Fame because this guy is he is really the king of rodeo. I mean, he's bullfighter extraordinaire. There's nobody ahead of him on the list. So oh. he's from Merkle, Texas. I did, I did not know the story of Rob Schmetz. Yeah. That's the beauty of our Hall of Fame over yeah. the 15, 16 years we've done it now, there's always somebody will go, I didn't know they were from Throckmorton or Merkel or yeah. Monday or Stanford or yeah. whatever the case may be. And so yeah. that's fun. That's a great name to add to our list. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. He was the guy that was there when uh, you know everybody knows the tough Hedeman story. You know, right. uh, what was the bull? The bull's the famous bull, the tough Hedeman well, tried to the, ride. The movie was eight seconds, right? Yeah, yeah. And so they came up and hit him in the face. And so I think Hawk knows the name of the bull. Elaine Frost. Frost. You're right. You're right. But tough Hedeman had those same one, too. He had the bull that came up and hit him in the face, and then he came back and he rode him again. I can't remember the name of the bull. It's a famous bull, but anyway, that, that was was a bushwhacker. That may be the other one. That may be Lane Frost, but we we'll figure it out. We got to get my rodeo down here better. But yeah, we've had some great ones. But he would be wonderful with the Big Country yeah, Hall of Fame. A, that's a great name, absolutely. Yeah, so, 
But uh, also, man, we had great interviews earlier with uh, physical therapist Jeremy Carver. He is uh, doing a golf-specific functional sports training program for golfers. And if you want to find out more about that, you can go to d1abilene.com and find out how to contact us, and you can be involved in that as well. Man, it's been a lot of fun having some great guests on uh, today, as we always do. So, was it Bushwhacker? Who was it again? Bodacious. Of course it was Bodacious. <laughs> I don't ever get that, man. Yeah, I knew when it was Bushwhacker, that was a different one. But Bodacious, he, so Tough Hedeman rides a bull. It comes up and hits him in the face. Bodacious has never been written before. It hits him in the face. I mean, literally shatters his face. Like like his child, his, his uh, little boy came up to him after he went through the ER and everything. His head is so swollen, his son doesn't recognize him. So... He has to go through all this rehab, learn he has to eat through a straw, the whole thing. Well, it's only like a matter of weeks until he's in the National Rodeo's final. So he's had all this reconstructive surgery, has steel plates. So he asked his doctor, he said, what's the worst case scenario if I go out and ride? They're like, you're going to ride? What are you talking about? It's just been a few weeks since you had facial surgery. Your orbits were broke. Your nasal bones are broke. He goes, if I break it again, if it hits me again, what's the worst thing? And they said, would have to go in and fix it. And he goes, okay, I'm going to ride. He <laughs> went and rode Bodacious, man. He rode him in the National Finals Rodeo. That's some tough dudes, man. His name's Tough Hedeman, but he's on a uh, Never Quit podcast that uh, is on there with Marcus Luttrell and uh, Dave Rutherford, uh, two Navy SEALs who interview really amazing people. And Tough Hedeman tells the story, and it's one of my favorite podcasts oh, I've ever listened to. That's amazing. Bull riders and bull fighters. Yeah, but Rob Schmitz. I do not, I do not want their job. Rob Schmitz breaks his neck. Three times, three That's times incredible. he keeps coming back. He had the fractures that killed Christopher Reeves, that most football players, if they have, they never play because they don't want to be a contact sport again. And he's, he's wrestling bulls for a living, does it three times, and he's not paralyzed. How in the world? I don't know. But what a great testament, man. He had, a, had some great verses there that I think are great for living, the one out of Jeremiah. And, oh, man, just incredible guy. So, yeah, that was too short of an interview for uh, him. But he definitely needs to be in the Big Country Hall of Fame. I'm not on the committee, but I'd like to be on the committee, and I'd like to vote yes. <laughs> so, anyway, that's awesome. So that may be the first athlete that I've ever talked about with you, Al, that I knew that you didn't. I, I, in fact, I'm going to say, yes, that was, absolutely. That, that, that probably was. It's so very <laughs> good. I had to go to rodeo, but, yeah, that's. I'm never uh, – Al Pickett and David Bacon, and uh, there are a few guys in Abilene that is very hard to stump on any type of big country uh, sports trivia, and that's, that's the first ever. So – Hey, let's talk a little bit about uh, what's going on in sports medicine news. We were talking about fights earlier, and we mentioned some of the famous ones. Uh, there also have been some uh, fights. We know this is because of the Yankees-Tigers uh, fight that happened recently against teammates on teammates. If you remember uh, Bryce Harper and Jonathan Papelbon a couple of years ago, both were on the Washington Nationals, and Bryce Harper didn't run out of uh, pop-up to first base. Uh, Jonathan Papelbon, who is a uh, pitcher who has a little bit of a screw loose sometimes, people would say. <laughs> I think that's other people's opinions, but he uh, took – took not kindly to that. It was in the dugout and uh, let Bryce Harper know. And then they got in a big melee. Jonathan Har- Papelbon picks Bryce Harper up by the neck and pins him to the back of the dugout. And next thing you know, they get rid of Jonathan Papelbon. But, uh, yeah, I guess you can't take on, fight the uh, your team's star player and still stay around. Well, That's kind of like when, when Jimmy Johnson cut the player who fell asleep in the film session with the Dallas Cowboys. He didn't cut Emmett Smith. He yeah. cut a marginal player. I mean, <laughs> yeah. not all people are treated yeah. are created equal. Who know? was the ACU quarterback that punched Roger Staubach? Uh, That's a uh, famous one, uh, too. Uh, Clint Longley. Clint Longley. Clint Longley. I don't Clint think he Long- stayed around long, did he? He did not stay around long. <laughs> yes, he was, of course, uh, led the comeback on Thanksgiving Day game against the Redskins. But uh, 
then he made the mistake of punching Roger Staub back in yeah. the fight. So yeah, it certainly has happened. Hey, I have a uh, injury question for yeah, you. Yeah, you bet. Uh, Joey Gallo and Matt yeah, Bush, right? Uh, the uh, Rangers. Uh, he was playing third base at the time, and Matt Bush, the relief pitcher, collided heads in really a scary-looking collision yeah. on a little pop-up that they both went for. Uh, Bush ended up with a knee injury. He's out for ten days, but Gallo's in the seven-day concussion protocol uh, where he's on the uh, on the disabled list. And, you know, we hear that term all the time with football more than baseball, but we hear with other sports the concussion protocol. What does that mean? So uh, think of your brain as a uh, peach inside of a glass jar that's filled with water. So that's, that's from the movie Concussion. I thought that was a great way to explain it. But So when your head gets suddenly sloshed, the peach inside the glass jar bounces up against the side of the glass jar and it bruises. That's what happens to your brain. So you have a brain bruise or a brain injury that has been shown that if you go back out too soon and have another concussion, it can be twice as bad or even more amplified worse. So what we're always afraid of is if someone goes out after they have a concussion, they have the signs of a concussion like after concussion, post-concussive syndrome, uh, symptoms are like headaches, nausea, double vision, poor concentration, easel, easily emotionally labile, whether that's anger or crying or whatever it is. Those types of dizziness, balance, being off, those types of things, which makes it very, very difficult to hit a baseball and see a baseball, which may be the hardest thing to do in all of sports. So before, if you're having those symptoms, one is they're not going to allow you to go back out and play. You've been deemed with a concussion. So what they do is they put you through a protocol is that they watch you closely. They give you tests. Uh, usually you've been tested prior to the injury to see what your baseline brain function is so that when you have your concussion, they retest you. They test things like concentration. They also do balance testing, all the things we talked about. And you want to be symptom-free, be able to score the same on your post-test as you did on your pre-test to show that your brain is back to its baseline before you send somebody back out. Once you're asymptomatic, once you've uh, gone back to baseline on your test, then you start going through sport-specific activities. You start initially doing some light aerobic activities. So they'll put them on a bike or a treadmill and do light aerobic activity and see if it causes your symptoms to reoccur. Because sometimes when you exercise and you're post-concussive, like Steve Young would say, like when I went back out there and I was suddenly being jostled around, my symptoms would come back on me. Same thing happens with a lot of post-concussive symptoms. So they'll have these athletes go back and do light aerobics if it's has symptoms start again, you start back on the testing again. If you don't have symptoms of aerobic activity, you go on to doing some some weight training type things that kind of do resistance training. If you don't have symptoms of that, then you go back to sports-specific activities like playing baseball. You go back out, hit any batting cage, you simulate all fielding, stuff like that. If you don't have any symptoms then, then they allow you to come back. So it's a stepwise progression of allowing your brain to heal after a severe brain bruise. It strikes me the odd thing about it is that it is all based on on your symptoms, not taking a X-ray and saying, "Well, you've got a broken leg." So it's yeah. really based on on the symptoms, and I suppose everybody's a little different. Symptoms and neuropsychological testing, and that that testing is testing your ability to concentrate. So there's some objective quality to it, exactly what you're talking about. Whereas if you break your leg, I do an X-ray and I have an objective test. I also test, ask you how you feel when you're running your broken leg, but I have a test that shows the broken bone healing. So it's harder to do that with the brain other than testing it functionally, and that's what that neuropsychological testing is considered. So that's part of you have to be back on your testing as far as your neuropsychological test. It has to be back to your pre-injury baseline, and you have to be symptom-free. It's a combination. Obviously, you have the greatest medical uh, doctors and, and staff to work with the NFL players and Major League Baseball. What about our Texas high school football players? We have trainers everywhere. Mm-hmm. 
but if they have a concussion symptoms, uh, mm-hmm. where do they go for the testing? Their trainers do it, or do they come back to people like you, or what? Yeah, so that's a great question, Alex, because this just recently this was a topic. Uh, when really concussions started being looked at differently, we started asking those types of questions. Well, we want this to filter all the way down. So Texas high school uh, um, athletics now has said that every school has to have a concussion protocol, and your team doctor has to be involved with your athletic trainers. So the schools that I take care of, we went through and made a concussion protocol, very similar to what we just talked about, and we go through how we test both neuropsychological testing before they get injured. So now, let's say you go to Harden-Simmons. So you Simmons. test all the players before mm-hmm. the yes. season. Yes. Okay. So they now have a – and Harden-Simmons, by the way, we're one of the schools that I take care of where you're the broadcaster, was one of the very first pioneering schools to do that, by the way. They did the neuropsychological testing. We call ours impact testing. They do that when they first come to school, so we have a baseline. And when they have an injury, we now have that baseline test to compare against with their injury impact tests, and we compare those. They also need to see the uh, physicians, and we go through their impact testing with them. We also examine them, ask them their symptoms, and then as physicians, we allow them to go back when those things are cleared and they've gone through the concussion protocol, which we now have with the schools. So that's at high school and at college. We do the same thing at Wiley High School that we do at Hardin-Simmons, the same thing they do in the NFL. And one thing I think that has done is is taken away the decision-making from the coach, hasn't it? Yes, yeah. It made everybody's job easier. So no longer does the coach have to try and the, or the team physician have to try and grade the concussion, which we did for years. We used to try and grade them. If we graded them a lower one, we say, well, if, we, they're, not, if they're not symptomatic in 20 minutes, we're going to allow them to go back. Now we either say it's a concussion or it's not a concussion. And so it's much, much easier as a both a team physician and as the coach because the coach now knows if you have a concussion, you're, he, he's done. There's no more guesswork to it. So used to be a lot of pressure on the team physician. If it's your star player running back and he has the symptoms of having his bell rung, is that really a concussion or is that not a concussion? So it's very, uh, very, very much easier on my, on my end of the things now than it used to be, as well as the coach, in my opinion. Well, and I think it's, it's a great thing safety-wise. Yeah, 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 because now we're, we're, we both acknowledge that with concussions there is long-term ramifications, if not both diagnosed early and treated appropriately and given their time to return. And so, yeah, I think it's uh, been a step in the right direction. Can we get rid of all concussions in football? Impossible. It's a contact sport, right? So we can't probably get rid of all of them. Can we minimize the long-term sequela of having multiple concussions? Yes. And that's where the difference lies. Probably the next step is what they can do helmet-wise. What can they do to make helmets safer? Oh, boy, that's been out there so long now. The research continues. Yes, and they're trying to put accelerometers in the head so we can tell when they've had an impact that, that should could possibly cause brain trauma when there's been enough. Yeah, that is the next wave of looking at how. And now, of course, tons of uh, self-safety measures have now been implemented at every level of football to try and decrease helmet-to-helmet contact, the, the uh, you know, the defenseless uh, quarterback or wide receiver type, type things, which I think is good, yeah. I remember Chuck Cecil when I was a kid. He was a Cardinals uh, safety. He, is, he has a guy come across the middle. He, he hits him helmet-to-helmet, knocks himself out and the other guy. They both get wheeled off. Chuck Cecil comes back later in the next quarter, hits the guy helmet to helmet, his first play back from his first full-out loss of, con- loss of concussion, concussion, loss of consciousness concussion, and knocks the next guy out and himself again, and they both had to be carted off. But those days are over. We're not going to see those anymore. <laughs> well, I hope not. Yes, yeah, yeah. But there's some, uh, yeah, some old footage of guys taking concussions that were crazy. We've had on the show before several guys that said uh, one played for the – 
uh, Baltimore Colts. No, it was the Green Bay Packers. And he said that one week the way they tested their center to see if he was back and able to play after concussion, they had him run a slant pattern. This is a center in the NFL. And somebody, one of the linebackers for the Packers took him out, and he was able to get up and said he felt okay after and that. That's how they determined he was ready to play that week. One of the really fun things I got to do in my career, I played golf uh, with in the Sammy Ball Golf Tournament. My partner was Dick Nolan, the great uh, 49ers yeah, coach. Yeah, yeah. And he looked, showed his wrist, and his wrist bent permanently like it should <laughs> bend. And, and he said when he played for the uh, Giants and they were playing the Lions in Detroit, broke his wrist, and they said it after they got back on a train to New oh, York. Oh, my gosh. And he said we had our team doctor who was a friend of the Mara family, and he was a gynecologist, oh. he was a team doctor, <laughs> and he said the only thing he carried in his bag was a bottle of scotch. Oh, my so, God. So that was the yeah. early 1950s. It wasn't real, wasn't real good with fractures, but great with a pap smear for the players. Great with pap smear. So, Hey, we'll be right back with more Docs and Jocks, your sports medicine radio show, right after this short commercial break. Thanks for listening. Fall is upon us, and athletes will be looking forward to a new season and new opportunities to compete in their sport. Tryouts and scrimmages will be taking place as coaches try to determine how to make their teams great. This can be extremely intimidating, nerve-wracking, and even scary for many athletes as they showcase their skills and abilities in trying to earn a spot on the team or secure a starting role. This is a time that the athlete's mental strengths and weaknesses will definitely show. If an athlete has worked hard to improve mental skills such as confidence, concentration, and freedom from worry, he will have a much more successful time in tryouts. If an athlete has learned to set and reach goals, he will be more focused and intentional in his sport. He will also be able to handle adversity and deal with pressure situations that are thrown his way. Working with a mental strength coach and learning to improve mental skills is extremely valuable and can help propel an athlete to greater success. If you or an athlete you know would like to learn more about building these skills, you can reach the EDGE Mental Strength Training by clicking on our link at docsandjocks.com. This has been your Mental Strength Minute. You're listening to Docs and Jocks, brought to you in part by West Texas Neurosurgery, Abilene Tech, and Sports Clips. Touchdown. Now back to more Docs and Jocks with Dr. Dan and Ferris. Hey, welcome back to Docs and Jocks. This is Dr. Dan. I'm honored this week to have as my co-host Al Pickett. Al is filling in for the great Ferris Potter, the voice of Grand Canyon University. Al is a Hall of Fame sports broadcaster, writer, and author. Recently wrote a book, The Mighty Mighty Matadors, talking about Lubbock Estacado and their state title run, the first year of the Lubbock school system being uh, integrated. Uh, man, great book. If you ever want to find out how to find Mighty Mighty Matadors, what's the easiest way, Al, to go and find your new book? Uh, just go online, either to Barnes & Noble or Amazon. That'd be the easiest way. You can yeah. order it from either one. It's uh, it published by Texas A&M Press. And I'm leaving off the last half of the title. I always say Mighty Mighty Matadors, but it's... Estacado High School, Integration and a Championship Season. Yeah, it's a great book. I've had the privilege of reading it. It's about the coach Jimmy Keeling, and if you don't know about Jimmy Keeling, man, we've done some un- unbelievable great interviews with him. He's one of my favorite coaches of all time. He's both in the college and high school uh, Hall of Fames for coaching. So, man, a great book to read about Mighty Mighty Matadors. It talks about a great season, but really is even better talking about life. It's a lot of the social issues we're still dealing with how these guys figured it out and uh, how to become a, a man and a character, a person that plays football but also becomes a man of character. So I always love Al. We've had some of the greatest coaches on our show here. We've had, oh, my gosh, if I start naming them, uh, Gene Stallings, uh, Jerry Moore from Appalachia State, back-to-back-to-back championships. Uh, uh, I've had on, uh, of course, Jimmy Keeling, Jesse Burleson, uh, you name it, Raymond Berry. 
But all these guys talk about after they finish their coaching careers, when you start talking to them about wins and losses, it really doesn't – it kind of glazes them over. I mean, obviously, they mean a lot to them when they're playing, and they're, they want to win. They're very competitive guys. But they all, to a person, talk about how what really mattered long-term after the coaching careers are over, the relationships they have with their players, fellow coaches. It's That's really what stands out to me, and I feel like that's what Coach Keeling – when we interviewed him here in studio, you and he, he was talking about how even years, years, decades later after this book's written, you could tell that the relationships he developed and those guys' relationships they developed with each other was what still really mattered to them. I know the state championship was a big deal, but the relationships is the big part of it. Coach Keeling and I spoke at La Estacado, their big celebration to kick off their 50th anniversary earlier this week, and he made that very comment. He said, I love this team, and obviously we were, they were a great team. But I love them as individuals, and I'm so proud of what they've become after they played. And, yeah. you know, I'm, I'm with Coach Keeling quite often, and his phone, cell phone will ring, and it's a former player, whether it's from Estacado or Hardin-Simmons or any place yeah. else he's been, wanting his advice yes. on a coaching job or wanting his advice on this. So he still keeps in contact. His list on his phone, it must be long because he has a lot of names Well, on I was his list. team physician for about 20 years, and I'm on the list. I call Coach Keeling for advice a lot. And so he's just that kind of man. When you've been around him, you just appreciate it. He doesn't, he's not a man of a lot of words, but when he speaks, you, you want to listen because the words he gives you are, are definitely wise. Uh, absolutely. Yeah. And, and thank goodness I'm on the list, and he's <laughs> yeah. on my list too. Exactly, yeah. And by the way, Al Pickett's on my list too as well. So, <laughs> hey, uh, we, I thought we could finish up the show talking about some of the uh, other, cardinal, or other uh, injuries in the news right now. Talking about baseball right now, Al, we're getting down into the home stretch. You know, as soon as September starts, you really got to kick it in. The St. Louis Cardinals last week had tied up this Cubs at the very beginning of the week, and they were tied in the uh, National League Central for that spot. And then the Cardinals have dropped off, mainly because of the relief pitching that has dropped off. But now they get the news that Trevor Rosenthal, who's their eighth-inning setup guy, now this, you know all baseball has an eighth-inning setup guy, and then you go straight into the closer in the ninth inning. He now has found out that he has an ulnar collateral ligament rupture, the big one inside your elbow, on the inside of your elbow, that when it gets torn or ruptured, it requires Tommy John surgery, which is named after a famous Los Angeles Dodgers pitcher of the 70s and 80s that had the surgery done. Uh, for the very first player to ever have it done. In fact, we interviewed Tommy John about his Tommy John surgery, which wasn't named that when he did it, mm. but uh, we interviewed him about that. If you want to listen to that interview, you can go to docsandjocks.com, D-O-X-N-J-O-X.com, and uh, listen to that interview. But, you know, when you see teams, oftentimes we think of talent and we think of being able to do things in the crunch, but you really got to be pretty lucky and, and miss the injury bug. We saw that with our Texas Rangers a few years ago, a team that did really, really good. The next year they set the record for the most injuries, and they're a cellar dweller. So you, your fortunes oftentimes are not determined by the talent of your players. It's oftentimes determined by the injuries that you sustain. This one could be devastating for the Cardinals. Oh, it absolutely could be. You know, it's interesting about Tommy John. I bet he wishes he got a, <laughs> a uh, every time it was mentioned, yeah. he got a little royalty payment on it. Can you imagine? Uh, it, probably it should have been named for the doctor who was Frank, the first one to figure it. Frank Job is the doctor. Yeah, yeah it should be the Frank Job uh, <laughs> surgery, but yeah. It, uh, so, yeah, it, it is so tough. And then the Tommy John surgery in the arm, and it's coming to younger and younger kids. I mean, you really worry about how you avoid that. I think yeah. some of it is just a little bit of luck, isn't mm -hmm. it? Yeah, and the, there was a great doctor. In fact, we've had Dr. James Andrews, the most famous sports medicine doctor that currently is practicing. He was on the show, and he did a really interesting study out that looked at what predisposes young arms or any arm to sustaining an injury to the ulnar collateral ligament. So what he did is he took all the guys who had ulnar collateral ligament ruptures and all the guys who have it, and he looked at what's different in their mechanics. So we, he really narrowed it down to three things. Obviously, if you overthrow, you know, obviously it puts more stress on the elbow. But there are guys who throw for their entire careers and never have Tommy John surgery. 
So he found that if you, when your front foot lands as a pitcher, and your back hand, the ball, the, the hand that the ball is in, if the ball is still facing towards the ground. So in other words, your front foot is landed, the ball is still facing down, your arm or your the ball is lagging behind, your top half's lagging behind your lower half. So you're getting ready when your front foot is landed, your hips are going to fly open, and now the arm's got to come through, right? If the arm lags behind the lower half, it's going to put more strain as you're trying to catch up on the elbow. Yeah. So you can't really see that in person. You know, I try to watch pitchers and try to figure it's too fast, right? When the foot hits and when the, where the hand is when the foot hits, it's pretty hard to see. But nowadays we all have iPhones, right? So I just video pictures when I go to these events with the Caleb Munton Baseball Tour. That's what I call it when I'm traveling <laughs> all over the world. I just video a pitcher, and I look at it, so I slow it down and see where's, when his front foot lands, where's his back hand at. The other thing is, is if you land across your body, so as you come through, if you land with your front foot on the, uh, your closed, so if I'm a right-handed thrower, if my left foot lands to the right of my back foot, in other words, my body, my front shoulder is now going to be closed. If the batter is looking at me, he can maybe see the back of my, you know, my name on the back of my jersey. There are a couple famous uh, Rick Helling, not Rick Helling, there was another one for the, car, for the uh, Rangers that did that consistently, and they always talked about he was going to have shoulder pro- or elbow problems, and he did. But if you land closed and you come across your body, it puts a tremendous amount of uh, pressure on the inside of your elbow. Once again, because as you now fling your shoulder open, your top half is lagging behind, and you've got to put more stress on your elbow as well. Also, if when a pitcher, uh, when he is in his mid-stance, so he's, he's coming through and he's in his cocking phase, if he, when he's in the cocking phase and his back elbow is above his shoulder, we call it the reverse W position because you're coming through. If you look at a pitcher from the side, it looks like a reverse W. But if his elbow gets above his shoulder, then once again, he's got to catch up for that, that range of motion that he's now excessive on, and he's got to now put extra stress on the inside of his elbow. So if you land with your front foot, your, when your front foot lands, the ball's facing downward. If when you're in your cocking phase, your elbow gets above your shoulder, your throwing elbow gets above your throwing shoulder, or if you land with your front foot closing off your top half. Is, are the three things that will predispose you. doesn't mean you're going to get it for sure, but it means there's a good chance that you're going to have that. The guy that for the Rangers that landed cro- that closed his body, his first name is Roger. can't remember his last name, but Roger was his first name. But anyway, it's been back in the, like the 80s. Another Al Pickett trivia question, but yeah. <laughs> I, can, I can picture him. I'm, I'm drawing a blank yeah. on his name right now. The guy that did all three, that was a classic one that everybody talked about was going to have elbow injuries that he never did until uh, he finally got one, was Mark Pryor. Mark Pryor, if you watch him for the Cubs, did all three classically. When I watch his, when I think about Mark Pryor, who was one of the great early 90s pitchers for the Chicago Cubs, remember he'd get his elbow way up above his shoulder. His, he would land and his hand would still be back with his elbow above his shoulder, and he landed cross. He closed off his body when he landed. So he did all three. If you want to watch a guy do all three. So I guess young pitchers, as they are learning, I mean, somebody ought to work with them to try to just correct those if I was, things. Yeah, if I'm listening to this show and I have a young son that is a pitcher, and I just heard that, I would just video him. Video him from the side pitching and video him from the front and see if he does either of those, any of those things. It's, it's pretty easy on video now. We all got an iPhone. So it was pretty hard to catch with uh, just watching him. It's just like trying to help my son with a swing. I can't do it. And you know, when I watch it full, full speed, it's very hard to do. But when you break it down on video, it's relatively easy to see the kind of the mechanical flaws when you hit it. So, yeah, every kid's now, when they're going home with their dad from these games, you all see them look at their phone, their dad's video, and then they look at their phone, they watch themselves swing. What an advantage. Man, my dad used to tell me what I was doing, but that didn't, it's hard visually to do that. You know, when someone just says, hey, you're, 
flying open or whatever. But when you watch yourself do it, it's it's much easier to correct it. So hey, to change the subject for one second yeah. here, and something that the people in Abilene and, and this part of the country would know. The longest tenured coach in Cooper, Abilene Cooper High School history, died this week. Oh. 95 years old, Ray Overton. Wow. Uh, coach O, as everybody yeah. called him, uh, spent 19 years at Cooper, 11 as head coach. He's a native of Haskell, and then spent 10 more years at Irving MacArthur, and then taught chemistry into his 80s. Wow. Uh, he was 95, <laughs> but uh, Coach O, uh, just a tremendous long career and beloved by everybody. Oh, what that's a so class awesome. act. Yeah. So, uh, funeral is coming up this next Tuesday in Haskell. Oh, that's uh, which so cool. Which is a native, but uh, Ray Overton, he's a member of the Big Country Athletic Hall of Fame, inducted back in when he was a mere 90 in 2012. <laughs> yeah. Oh, wow. That's amazing. Coach O, well, our thoughts and our prayers go out to the uh, Overton family for sure. So. Absolutely. Yeah. Hey, you want to say uh, my next segment here, Al, we're going to call it So You Want to Be an NFL Linebacker segment. I was called that. So, so if you want to be an NFL linebacker, here's some things you might think about. Sean Lee, the great linebacker for the Dallas Cowboys, he just, uh, he's going to be in his first preseason game coming up, and he is going to be uh, coming back from a hamstring injury. He has a history of having multiple hamstring issues over his career. But really, here's the other things he's had. He's, since he's played college, we played at Penn State, and now he's with the Dallas Cowboys. He had both anterior cruciate ligaments have ruptured in both knees. He's had those both repaired. Both of those are year-long rehab, by the way. Went through that. He has also had uh, multiple concussions. He's been out multiple concussion protocols. He's a linebacker in the NFL. He's taking on giant dudes, you know, who are pulling guards or coming through the hole. Multiple concussions as well. And he also had uh, foot surgery where he had to have uh, foot surgery repair a volar plate uh, rupture on the bottom of his toe, which is what kind of holds the uh, big toe, the bottom surface of the big toe joint there uh, in place. So you want to be an NFL linebacker? There you go. Sean Lee's one of the greatest, but he's, he's put his time in, man. He's a little bit like Rob Schmetz, our guest we had on earlier, man. You want to be, you want to be a bullfighter? Well, here's what you can expect. The uh, Texas High School Coach Association uh, wanted some writers to come and, and during a scrimmage and participate with them, and they wanted me to be the umpire right behind the yeah. linebackers. <laughs> and I said, I'm going to be the back judge. <laughs> that, was, that was awful. I couldn't find anybody smart. smaller than me <laughs> uh, playing a linebacker, and the linemen were coming. And oh, my gosh. I was back when Jay Jones was playing at Wiley. Yeah. And I'm like, no, I don't think I want to be the umpire. That, that's the reason those guys limp a lot. Yeah. No, I played high school football, and every now and then I get this, you know, Coach Jesse Burleson, who, by the way, he's a Hardin-Simmons University head football coach, gives the best pregame speech and i've heard a lot of them i've been in a lot of locker rooms as a team physician burleson is by far the best he's just incredible and so he gets me so pumped up i'm like i want to play again i just want to go strap on the pads and play and then like the first play out of the box you know you'll see some guy just get wiped out on the sidelines right in front of you and you're like what was i thinking <laughs> what was i thinking <laughs> you forgot better in the yes, press box. yes it is yeah it's such a violent game hey speaking of a guy that's made a comeback and done well jalen smith man he's a cowboys yes. linebacker out of notre dame and remember, he was drafted. Really, they took a took a chance with him. He was a great draft pick until he had an injury to his knee, which was devastating. He had ACL injury, a meniscus tear, and he tore multiple, multiple structures in his knee. And he had to have surgery on it. But he also had a uh, stretch injury to a nerve that goes through his knee called his perineal nerve, which is the nerve that allows you to have your foot go up and down. And so he lost the ability to pull his foot up. So if you're walking, you can't pull your foot up. Your toe points down. It drags on the ground. We call that a foot drop. And he has to wear a brace called ankle foot orthoses, which hold his, holds his foot in a neutral position so it doesn't slap on the ground or drag or make him trip when he's running. So we didn't really know if he was going to be able to be back. And if he was going to be back, was he going to be good? Well, this last preseason game, he looked great. And so it's always good. We love the overcoming story. A guy who's had an injury, doesn't know if he's going to get drafted, doesn't know if he's going to be able to play ever again the game that he loves. And we saw Jalen Smith have a great uh, last game. and Even uh, garnered praise from Rob Marinelli, our coach for the Dallas Cowboys. Uh, Brandon Hawk, our producer of our show here, 
uh, was an athletic trainer with the Dallas Cowboys and says that uh, Rob Marinelli does not give out compliments easy. So <laughs> that's a great one. He didn't give out a compliment to number one Taco Charlton, uh, number one draft pick this last year for the Dallas Cowboys. Rob Marinelli told him he needs to be better. <laughs> so just to go to the back of our point that when he uh, praised Jalen Smith, that truly uh, was well-deserved. So it's good to see a guy like that come back. That's a wonderful story because you're right. He dropped in the, in the draft a year ago, and many thought he might never play in the NFL. Yeah, yeah. And then the, also the Cowboys uh, made news again uh, this last week where they gave 20 veteran players a day off to rest and recover. So now the NFL has become a friendlier, nicer place to play, apparently, than a lot of the guys we've interviewed over the years in the NFL who had uh, no, t- no uh, sports medicine treatment, really, or had a gynecologist trying to set their wrist. Apparently, they're kinder and gentler in the NFL now. <laughs> you know, and one thing, they used to, you showed up to spring training in baseball or training camp in football to get in shape. Yeah. Now these guys are in shape all year long, so it's it's really changed a in different that regard. Mentality, yeah, yeah. Tyrone Smith is a guy we need to be watching. He's our Cowboys uh, left tackle, and he right now is dealing with uh, intermittent back pain. And the reason it's uh, interesting, and you've got to say that he has to watch it because back pain can be so recurrent. Tyron Smith is six five, three hundred twenty pounds. Remember, Al, I talked about how your body is just a box with four little pendulums. Well, he has a big box, and he has big <laughs> pendulums, and he has to have a really, really strong foundation. It isn't necessarily how big you are that causes you to have back pain, but it's how strong your core is in comparison to how big you are. So if you have a gigantic, heavy house, you want a really, really strong foundation, right? Same thing with talk with uh, Tyron Smith. I mean, he wants to have a really, really strong, strong core to be able to haul around 6'5", 320 pounds. So uh, the other one, the interesting one with the Dallas Cowboys is uh, Rico Gathers right now. Remember, he's the Baylor basketball player. He's a tight end. He's 6'6", 285, and he's going through the concussion protocol as well. The unique thing about him, he played basketball at Baylor and not football, and they're talking about how he's probably going to be one of the best uh, tight ends for the Dallas Cowboys uh, he, possibly he ever. He's so. really looked good in the first two preseason games. Well, you know what was good was this show, Al. I want to say thank you for you being my co-host. Al Pickett, once again, you want to pick up his book, The Mighty, Mighty Matadors, talking about Lubbock Estacado and their state title run. Man, if it's a great book. And I want to say thank you for Al Pickett, the Hall of Fame sports writer, uh, author, and broadcaster for being on the show today. If you ever want to find out more about Docs and Jocks, your sports medicine radio show, you could do so by going to docsandjocks.com or you can listen to us on iTunes at Docs and Jocks. D-O-X-N-J-O-X. Hey, thanks for making us one of the fastest growing podcasts out there on iTunes. Appreciate all our wonderful listeners. Until next week, this is Dr. Dan saying so long through your sports medicine radio show, Docs and Jocks. <laughs>